Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day, for the beauty, the beauty of your creation, Lord God. Thank you for giving us this place of refuge and security to come and gather together to hear your word and to encounter you face to face. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us today. Please give me your words to speak to your people as well. And fill us all up with your word, Lord, that we might be bearers of your truth, sharers of your message of hope and life, Lord, and receivers of your joyous message. We pray that you would bless and anoint this service, Lord, and us to your service as well. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so spectacular to see you all today. I hope that you're having a fine Sunday. Well, I brought with me my very beautiful hiking boots. Right, they are not really known for beauty, hiking boots in themselves, but I love these things, right? And, and I was trying to think about why I chose these boots, right? And it's kind of a hard question to define, like, why do we choose anything? Why do we choose the things we choose? What is it about them that makes us compelled to them? Is it because they're on sale? Sometimes that's why, right? But these have been, they just fit right. They just fit right. My foot is comfortable immediately. I've never gotten a blister wearing these boots before. Right? That's pretty remarkable. I've put a lot of miles on these and never a blister. Also, they have a nice Gore-Tex lining, and that keeps my feet dry. You know, if you know me, that I've got some weird feet things. I hate getting my feet wet when I step in water. And I hate getting dirt between my toes. And since they're nice and high boots, I don't get dirt between my toes, which keeps me a happy camper. Uh, they also have a nice strong toe, so I don't crunch my toe when I misstep and, like, trap my foot under a rock or whatever, right? So they've been a good set of boots for me. At the end of a long day of hiking, I can be wearing these boots and not feel my feet be tired at all, right? And that's a really beautiful thing. Now, we extend that out, the choosing of things, to all kinds of different things. And for one, we have... On friendship, how do we choose our friends? What is it that makes us choose someone? What is it? And it's hard to define, and lots of people have spilt lots of ink trying to define what it is that causes us to be compelled into friendship with other people. Uh, in particular, we have this friendship today with David and Jonathan. And it really is an undefined thing that leads them into relationship with one another. But somehow they find themselves compelled to each other. In particular, we get Jonathan's side of the story here in our passage from 1 Samuel. Now, you have to admit, though, that the friendship starts in an odd manner. The circumstances are a little strange. Because David had just come back from killing Goliath, and what is he hauling around in his hand? The severed head of the giant. Right? If any of you have ever carried a severed head around, you know it's a messy business. Right? I mean, where do you put the thing down? What do you do with it? I mean, how do you carry it kind of casually? You like put it on your hip or shoulder, like a basketball maybe, hold it under the arm, football. You know, what do you do with the thing? Right? And, and think about it, if you can stomach it. How long has it been since Goliath bathed the last? You know, he probably didn't prepare for battle that day with David by shampooing his hair out. 
Right? This guy's been camped out on a mountain challenging the armies of the Israelites day after day for a long time. I've been on that mountain and there is no bathtub. Right? So this dude's been camping out with a bunch of other soldiers, Philistine soldiers. He's got to smell foul. So David's like lugging around this horrible smelling head with him. And that's how he meets Jonathan. Walks into Saul's presence with the head in his hand. It reminds me a lot of when I first met our neighbors across the street here. Right? I mean, it's very similar conditions, right? I'd just been in the attic doing something. I think I was working on some ducting for air conditioning up in the attic. And I'd found this mummified rat up there. Right? And when you find a mummified rat, you want to share. Right? You don't want to just keep it to yourself. I mean, what good is a mummified rat at that point? So I come down holding it by the tail, walking down the steps to show Tara and the girls. And if you've been in our house, you know that the front steps lead right, or the steps upstairs lead right to the front door. I mean, that's where they terminate. And I didn't know it, but Tara was at the front door meeting our neighbor for the first time. <laughs> and so there I come, all covered with like insulation and dust and sweat and holding a mummified rat in my hand. What do you do at that point? There's not a whole lot of options for what to do with a mummified rat, right? You still stuff it in your pocket or kind of like put it in your armpit. Whoa, hey. You know, so there I am holding the mummified rat. She, for her, to her credit, was very interested, right? Which I thought was a very good characteristic for a good neighbor, right? To be very fascinated with that. I, I did bring the rat today, but I don't know where I put it. Um, so if you see it, let me know. I'd like it back. No, I'm just joking. I didn't bring it. So David comes in to meet Saul. And he's at camp with the army overlooking the valley where he fought Goliath. And, and David is presented by the commander of the military, a guy named Abner. Uh, and they go through the basic introductions. After that, after Jonathan has heard David's description of what has taken place, how the Lord is moving in him and drawing him out, after all that, Jonathan is compelled to David. The passage tells us, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Something about David, something about, maybe it was the presence of a spirit in him, maybe it was, I don't, we just don't know. It's one of those undefined things. What is it that compelled Jonathan to David? We're not sure, but Jonathan felt connected to him, felt a deep connection with David. Now, this is fortunate, because David would find himself pretty soon, well, immediately, removed from everything he had known in the world, right? Removed from his family, removed from his brothers, removed from his home, and brought to live there with Saul. So it was good to have a friend around. And at some point afterwards, it's not defined in the passage, it says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now, this word for love uh, is a word which expressed, is expressed in political and diplomatic connotations, like, like covenants, right? It's a, it's a relationship, a love that is expressed in connection and, and um, like mutual engagement with one another. It's not, the problem with love in English is we have one love, right? I love my shoes, I love my wife, same thing. 
Right? But different meaning, isn't it? Yes. Obviously a different meaning. Come on, you guys, you know me. Right? The problem is we're bound by our terms, but this is, this is different, right? This is a, a covenant, diplomatic relationship love that David, that Jonathan and David are expressing for one another. And obviously brotherly love as well. Now, as we all know, the covenants we think of in the Bible are made between God and humans. And here we see this language applied to this friendship that David and Jonathan share. Jonathan, like God, extends a covenant offer to David. We don't know the terms of the agreement. You know, in all the other covenants we have in the scriptures, we're given an explanation of what the covenant entails, but here we don't. It seems that they are just bound in relationship as friends with one another. And continuing with that, with that theme of being of doing things similar to how God works, Jonathan then equips David with everything he needs. Just as the Lord provides for all of our needs, so does David provide, or so does Jonathan provide for David. He gives him his robe, his armor, his sword, his bow, his belt. Remember, Saul had tried to do this earlier with David, tried to equip him for battle with Goliath. But the problem was the the tools and the equipment of Saul, they didn't work for David. They were too big and didn't fit him. But Jonathan's gifts appear to go with David and serve him well, although it's not explicitly stated here in this passage. It seems to be implied that David takes these things with him when he goes out to battle the enemies of Israel. And as he battles the enemies of Israel, he is very successful. And as a result of his success, Saul puts David in charge of his army, and everyone is happy about it. Having been in the military, almost never is everyone happy about something, right? So this seems to be a really massive sign that the presence of the Lord is there with David. But things don't stay all hunky-dory, do they? Right? David is filled with the Holy Spirit, but conversely, an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Perhaps Saul was more of a guitar guy. I don't know, but he didn't like his selection, but Saul goes nuts. Now, why would God do this to Saul? Why would God put this evil spirit in him? Because it seems like all it does is makes David's life miserable. And we see the manifestation of how miserable it gets because Saul is sitting there raving with a spear in his hand and David is plucking away on his lyre. And what happens? Yeah, yeah. And what's Saul's motivation? What does he want to do? Pin him to the wall, right? Maybe he got confused and thought it was pin the tail on the donkey day. But this is not exactly a pleasant working environment, is it? Why would God do this to David? Well, we don't know. We don't know. But it does seem that this adversity causes David to grow into a strong and mostly balanced person who leads mostly wisely and extends tremendous grace to Saul and to others. And it seems like these places of hardship in David's life become a well and a fertile ground for the making of psalms, right? These songs of praise to God and songs of lament, songs of confusion. 
It seems that that hardship in David's life really does beautiful things as it's turned over to the Lord. And our passage closes by telling us this. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And David marched out and came in leading the army. David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David. For he, it was he who marched out and came in leading them. So this part of the end of our passage doesn't really tell us any more about Jonathan, but this is not the end of their relationship. It's not the end of their story. Because later on, as Saul continued to get crazier and crazier and more and more violent against David, it was Jonathan who protected David. And ultimately, that protection and love for his friend caused him to have to tell David that he couldn't come back to the palace again. He had to leave. Jonathan sacrificed his personal relationship with David so that David could flourish and live. And that, as well, is an act of, uh, an act of grace. An act in which we see Jonathan behaving just like Jesus Christ himself. But that's not all, friends. It keeps going, right? Because ultimately, uh, Saul and Jonathan are killed by the Philistine army later on. And when David hears of it, he has this lament. This is in the beginning of 2 Samuel. He tells us, Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. David found safety and security in his friendship with Jonathan. They sacrificed for one another. They cared for one another. And when Jonathan saw David succeed, he urged him on. Even though on one level, urging David on and David's success meant his own decline. Right? Because Jonathan is the son of the king. So what would that make Jonathan later on if everything went normally? The king, right? And so what should he be doing as a son of a king? He should be growing, growing in, in respect and honor among all the Israelites, becoming the leader, taking over the military, doing those things that you would do as you grew. But instead, David's doing that, and Jonathan does not oppose him. Instead, as David grows, Jonathan celebrates him, much like John the Baptist later on, who says, he mu- of Jesus, he says, he must increase and I must decrease. Jonathan was willing to sacrifice his own future for David as well. And he loved him. He loved him. And if we know David's story, we know that David didn't have beautiful relationships in most of the rest of his life. He seemed to have broken relationships with his wives, and it's probably a function of having multiple of them at the same time, too. Right? Those didn't seem to go well, and he never seemed to find peace and comfort in that. But with Jonathan, he had a relationship which was free from all that other baggage in David's life. This word that's used when he talks about, your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of woman, this noun that's used for love is not the sexual love, 
that English doesn't have a differentiation for. It's rather that same love that was spoken of earlier with that covenant that David and Jonathan had made. It's a love of relationship, a love of political and diplomatic, with the political and diplomatic connotations, a love of covenant. And it speaks to that covenant that they had established at first in their relationship. That that covenant between them was better than any other relationship he had in his life. It gave him so much more security. With Jonathan, he could be nothing more than a friend, and that friendship was precious to him. Now, the challenge today is that this seems so strange, right? Uh, even when we think about um, famous people who have relationships, say, like take two famous guys who have a relationship. What do we call that in the media? A bromance, right? Which is a combination of two words. Brother and romance, right? And romance implies sexual connotations, right? And and we read into it something that's probably not there, right? And that changes and somewhat decreases friendship if we confuse it always with sex. Right? If we make a good friendship into something that has romantic connotations. In the same way with David and Jonathan. It undermines the depth of their love for one another. If we make it about other things. The joy of friendship is that it has no other baggage around it. It has no other requirements rather than just loving and being loved. And sacrificing and receiving sacrifice from that other person. It's a beautiful relationship. And for David and Jonathan, we see this at its fullest. So for us, in a world in which friendships are confused, friendships are difficult. Are friendships easy for you all? So hard. In a world in which we seem to have more friends than ever, when you can have thousands of them online, right? It's hard to really have one. We move around so much. We're so um, busy it's hard to really invest that time into that relationship. And I know for me, I find myself failing so often in friendship. Not living up to the covenant. Not living up to the love that I desire to, the depth of connection that I want to have with my friends. And for me, that's a real source of shame in my life. I want to be a good friend. I want to be someone like a Jonathan for a David. Someone who is sacrificial and cares only for the concerns of that other person. That's what I want and that's what I need. So do we have friendships? Who are our friends? Does our love for them encourage them to do great things? Does our love for them and their love for us encourage us to love all people? Just for the relationship to extend out beyond just the two of us into many, many more. Now, in retrospect, I'm not entirely sure why I picked these boots or why I picked this for an illustration, but they've carried me far and protected my feet. My feet never felt tired after wearing them. In a similar yet to a vastly different degree, our friends can carry us and protect us. They never make us tired being with them, but they encourage us and fill us up. They are our support and our anchor and like we saw with Jonathan, they can be manifestations of the love of God for us. 
making covenants, laying down their lives, allowing us to increase and encouraging us in that. May we be good friends in this world and remember that we have a friend, an eternal friend in God, who we have been reconciled to through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being a friend to us, Lord. We confess to you today that we fall short. We fall short of the demands of friendship. Lord God, we become selfish, become busy, become concerned with other things. Maybe we make too much of a comment or a statement and become miffed and distant. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to seek reconciliation. Help us to seek long-term relationships with others, Lord. Relationships which build up and which equip and which strengthen and which are founded on covenant, Lord. And may our relationships with others, Lord, lead us into deeper relationship with you and into a relationship where we desire to serve the entire world. Lord, thank you for giving us this example of David and Jonathan. Thank you for their love for one another, Lord, and the way that it challenges us and encourages us to see what could happen in our relationships with friends. Lord God, lead us. Lead us to good friends. Lead us to people who we can love and who will love us and help us to walk in peace with them and faithfulness. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.